uh, give yourselves a hand. You got out of bed this morning. Come on. You deserve a round of applause. Now give God the praise. Give God the praise this morning. Yeah, all right. It's all about him. It's all about him. He is wonderful. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of praise. I don't know who uh, I have the privilege of leading this church in a long line. It is quite funny that uh, we are uh, so thrilled at what God is doing here. And you being here is part of what God is doing. So uh, thank you so much. Yes, other minutes. 
ministries outside of the church, but the local church is the hope of the world. I, I believe that. That's why God called me to start a church. And we met with pastors of local churches in the Dominican Republic to, um, to talk about hope centers. And hope centers are where we, we, we take kids from the community, from their village, and we, we use the local church to, to fund it to help with their, with their education, to help with their, with their Bible knowledge, to, to introduce them to Jesus, to help with recreation, and to provide health care for them. And so the Hope Center is providing for these kids in ways that their parents can't. And so um, we met with local pastors, and uh, we teamed up with local pastors to set up Hope Centers for these kids to come to. Um, so on October 20th, we are having a church called Connect Community Church, which is uh, really our sending church, which is the church that Pastor Derek Fry, my pastor, is the pastor of. And, um, and we've partnered with them along with a, an organization called One Child Matters. And um, through One Child Matters, uh, we will sponsor kids that will be in the local church in the Dominican Republic um, hearing about Jesus, receiving health care, and, and being fed, and, and uh, reaching that community for Jesus. It only costs $40 a month to sponsor a kid, which is the same thing that it costs with World Vision or uh, Compassion International or anything that you, however, with those organizations, you don't have many opportunities to go on a missions trip and to serve the kids that you sponsor. So through the refuge, we will be taking small uh, mission trips to the Dominican Republic, working with our church. And by the way, the name of our church for our Hope Center is La Iglesia Refugio, which is the refuge church. Did I do okay with this? Is that okay? All right. Uh, consulting my Spanish-speaking uh, professional here. Um, but uh, so it's, it's the refuge church in the Dominican Republic. That's, that's like, and that was a God thing. That wasn't, that wasn't, we didn't seek them out. Like, that was just a God thing. And so on October 20th, um, Connect Church will be here, and they will be rolling out sponsorships for kids in the Dominican Republic. So we want to have as many kids sponsored. I think there's 50 kids at our, at our Hope Center, 35 to 50 kids. We can sponsor that many kids. I believe it with all my heart that we can sponsor that many kids, and um, and it's not just. I want to I want to say this too. Um, this isn't just for the refuge. If you have friends from other churches that want to partner with us to sponsor kids, this isn't about the refuge alone. This is about reaching people in the Dominican Republic for Jesus. So um, tell your friends about it. They um, they can sponsor kids on October twentieth. If you cannot be here. Um, I'll talk with Kinect and try to figure out all what that looks like, but we definitely want to sponsor kids. If you want to pick out your kid, I know this. If you want to pick out your kid, and I'm not 100% sure how we're doing it because I saw something really cool this week. I sent Pastor Derek and I was like, can you do this? And he's like, hold on, let me, let me check, and we'll get back to you. So if we pick kids, um, if you want to pick your kid, you'll need to be here on Who's ready for Reclaim Part 2? Reclaim Part 2, yeah. So, um, last week after service, someone was like, hey, where did they get that table that they made? Like, what did they
Last Supper. Have you ever noticed that food has power? Let me give it to you. Um, food has the power to help us remember. Like uh, the last week I talked about the pot roast, what pot roast reminds me of. Pot roast, the smell of pot roast in my house would remind me instantly of coming home from church on Sunday morning because every Sunday morning we would walk in and my mom would have a pot roast in the oven or in the crock pot or however she cooked it. So, so it would sm- the whole house would smell the aroma of pot roast, potatoes, and carrots, and it smelled so good, and I could smell it right now. Then, um, like, food reminds me of things, like, differently. So, um, chicken and dumplings, and it's not dumplings, it's dumplings. Chicken and dumplings and jello cakes reminds me of my grandma Harold. Last week I talked about how how barbecue reminded me of my grandma Summer Lass. Um, she also made um, an Illinois dish called the Italian Meat Sandwich. If you guys don't know anything about Italian meat, it's it's, it's a it's a Chicago thing. My grandma was Jersey Mad. So um, those things remind me of my my grandma. Um, Bertucci's. Every time I drive past the Bertucci's in in uh, Boston, I don't think subpar Italian food. I think of my first date when I first moved out of Boston. We just had Joey's, and we had margarita pizzas. We could, like, we could, like, it's not margarita pizzas that reminds us of the date. It's Bertucci's that reminds us of the date. And it's not that it's um, really good Italian food. It's just that it's our first date. Um, other foods remind me of things. Twizzlers. What is Anybody that does anybody know what Twizzlers reminds reminds me of? A good road trip. That's the answer. Twizzlers reminds me of a good road trip. When you open the bag of Twizzlers in the car, like it just the like, and then it just smells like that for the rest of the trip. Like it doesn't matter if it's a six-hour trip or a thirty-minute trip. If you open the bag of Twizzlers, it fills the car, and it reminds me of a really good road trip. Twizzlers does. Anybody else eat Twizzlers on a road trip? Have you ever noticed that it doesn't have to be a good memory about food? Like, like if you've ever eaten something and gotten a stomach ache right after it, like, just the mention of the food makes your stomach turn. Uh, when I was in college, uh, we had this restaurant called Sonic, and um, which is a southern chain, and I miss it dearly. However, I do not miss the jalapeno poppers. Because one night I ate jalapeno poppers from Sonic and my stomach turned so badly that, um, and I couldn't get rid of it. Like it wasn't, it just, it didn't go away. So now just, like now my stomach, like I was starting to get a little hungry a minute ago when I was talking about the barbecue and the Italian meat and dumplings and all that. But now my stomach's starting to hurt a little bit because I'm talking about jalapeno poppers. Like that's how much power food has. It's insane. Um. There are universal. If I were to say turkey stuffing, cranberry sauce, mashed potatoes, you know that I'm talking about. I mean, think with me. If I say corned beef and cabbage, you know it's fantastic. 
So the whole point is to make you guys hungry. chapter 22 verse 14 through 20 we're going to read those verses and then we're going to we're going to read some more in a minute let's read along when the time came Jesus and the disciples sat down together at the table and Jesus said I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins for I tell you now I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God now ladies and gentlemen Jesus and his disciples go away to observe this traditional meal called the Passover. And I'm not going to get into the meaning of Passover this morning a whole lot. Um, Passover was to celebrate, okay, to celebrate God's deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt and Pharaoh and the captivity that they were in. And so there would be, a, there was a, a, a night where... Um, if the children of Israel would take the lamb's blood and spread it over their doorpost, then the death angel would not pass over their, um, their home and their kids would all be alive. But if they didn't do that, and, they, and, and God did this in order to wake Pharaoh up, it wasn't to punish the children of Israel. And so they're celebrating all God did to rescue them from Egypt. And so this is what they are doing. And he's saying, and, and he says this, he says, I couldn't wait to eat this, this meal with you because I'm about to fulfill it. I'm about to give it meaning. I'm about to wipe it from the planet because it doesn't need to be done any longer because what I came to do is get rid of it. And I came to fulfill it. Goes on in verse verse seventeen. Then he took the cup of wine. By the way, in the in the in the Passover meal, traditional Passover meal, there would be four cups, four cups of wine. And he took so first, if you notice, so as we read, there's first one, this this one cup, and then there's another cup in a minute. The reason why is because there's there's four total cups. So verse seventeen. Then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to, to God for it. And then he said, "Take this and share it among yourselves for." I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God comes. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. At this point, the disciples are going, what are you talking about? This is his body. I'm looking at his body. This is my body which is given to you. Do this. 
After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And then he goes to die on the cross. And they go, oh, that's what he was talking about. At this point, Jesus is saying these things are, things are going to be different now. There's, there's an old covenant that used to be about the law and, the, and Moses. And you had to cross your, your T's and dot your I's. And you had to make sure that you were doing everything right. But you couldn't do that. So I got a better covenant for you, and it's fulfilled with my blood. And it's my sacrifice for you. And this is the way you can have an agreement with God now, with my blood, that I'm about to sacrifice for you. Not, not the old way. I'm giving you a new way. And things are going to be different now. This is a normal meal that they would have that all of a sudden things aren't normal anymore. <laughs> like, like Jesus is talking about some things that, that really they never heard of. I mean, they, Jesus had told them that this would happen, but they didn't know what exactly he meant. And I don't know that they, they knew what he meant at the table until later on, a few days later, when he actually died. Verse 21, keep reading. But here at, the table, at this table, sitting among us as a friend, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it, is, it has been determined that the Son of Man must die, but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other of them, ever do such a thing, verse 24, then they began arguing among themselves, I, I love the disciples, they're a bunch of knuckleheads, I tell you what, like Jesus is telling them, someone's about to stab us in the back, someone's about to stab me in the back, and they go around the room and they're going, it's got to be you, it's not me, it's not me, we're going to talk about that in a moment, verse 25, Jesus told them, in, his, in this world, the kings and great men lord over their people, and yet they are called friends of the people. But among, among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leaders should be like a servant. Verse 34, we're going to jump down just a little bit. In verse 34, it says, but Jesus said to Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked him, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money or a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need it? No, they replied. Do this in remembrance of me. In all my years of being a minister, um, I've done a lot more funerals than I have weddings. It's just the way it's been for me. I've done a, I've done a lot more funerals. I've done funerals for uh, 
98-year-old women that lived a long life, that left an amazing legacy, that were just great women and easy to do their, their funeral. I've done a funeral for an 11-year-old girl that died with brain cancer. That one was hard. There are funerals that are easy and there are funerals that are hard, but every single funeral, what I have learned is that remembering always heals the heart. When you start sharing the memories of the people, when you start sharing what they've done in the, the good times, and the ce- it's a celebration. All of a sudden, it's okay to laugh at a funeral when you start sharing the memories. If you do it before that, they're going to look at you like a weird. Maybe kick you out. But when it comes to remembering, it's a celebration. It's a laughter. It's, it's, it's good, and it heals the soul. It's been hurt. There's a big idea for today. The big idea would be this that remembering heals the heart. Remembering heals the heart. Jesus knew that his mission was about to be accomplished, but he knew that it was going to cause some heartbreak. He knew that it would cause heartbreak. And then it would cause victory. Like, like, can you imagine the emotion of the disciples? Like, Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth on a cross, bloody, beaten, and, and where he couldn't be recognized. And, and like, he's, he's on a cross. And, and, and that's their friend. And he dies, and they're heartbroken for three days. But three days later, he's back. He's, he's risen from the dead, and he's back. And they were victorious. And then he says, guys, I got to leave. More heartbreak. I mean, I, I, I think the ascension of, of Jesus into heaven probably caused a little bit of heartbreak. Because he was, he was going to heaven. They knew he was alive. But he was going to prepare a place for us, he said. And so there's that separation. And more heartbreak. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that his disciples would need to remember him. And so he gave them He gave them the bread and he gave them the wine and he said as often as you do it do it in remembrance of me. When Jesus took the bread and he took the wine I believe that he told us do it to remember him in order to heal our hearts. You see, he knew that every time we would observe the Lord's Supper, we would be, we were supposed to look at our hearts. Communion is supposed to be a time where our hearts are healed. A time where we have intimacy with God. Communion means this. It just means the, the word communion. It means the sharing or exchange of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. That's what communion is, an exchange. It's not an exchange with me. 
Don't you ever think that your communion is in exchange with me. There are some traditions that teach you that, that the communion exchange is between you and a person. It's not. It's between you and God. And it's intimacy with him. Because he's the only one that can heal your heart. It's business with You see, there was a church in, 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 Cor- in this town called Corinth that the Apostle Paul started. And the Apostle Paul got wind that they were observing the Lord's Supper and they were doing it um, just to do it. They, they weren't using it to observe their hearts. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to them and he says this. He says, so anyone who eats of the bread and drinks of the cup in an unworthy unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. This verse used to scare me because he goes on and he says, whoever eats and drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment on their lives. And so I'm sitting here going, man, every time I enter into the Lord's Supper, like I don't, like, I want to be really careful here. I want to make sure that that it's I'm doing it in the right way. But what was happening in Corinthians and Corinth is that the people, the Corinthian people, were eating and drinking like it was like like it was nothing. But they were doing it in remembrance. They were doing it as a social experiment. They were doing it. The, Paul writes them and he says, "You're eating just to eat, and you're eating to get drunk. You're drinking to get drunk. Like there's no meaning to it." There's no meaning to what you're doing. And so so he says, he says, do it to, to look at your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like looking at my heart every week. Like, I need to. But there are times where I'm just like, ooh. Because when you look deep down inside your heart and inside your soul, there's things need to change. Every single time, if I get to my heart, I have to realize there are things that I do that I shouldn't do. There are things that I that I don't want to do that I that I do, like Paul wrote. So, how do we practice communion at the refuge? I get I get a lot of questions about about how we observe the Lord's Supper. I want to answer some of those for you, um, and just to, to let you know how we do it, because we're going to do it here in a little while. And then I've got four things that I see from Luke chapter 2 that I believe will help you in remembering. So, um, the one question that I get asked a lot at the refuge is how often you do it, how often you do uh, communion. And the answer to that, I hope I just answered um, but but the answer to that is we don't do it every week because we don't want to be we don't want to become numb to it. I don't want us to become numb to it. I want us to always be intentional with it, and I want us to make sure that we are always looking at our heart every every single time. You should look at your heart every time you come into this space, and every time we enter a worship experience. But communion is deep. Communion is is like deep. Int- 
intimacy with, with God, and, it, and I think that it needs to be special. So we don't do it every week. We try, we try to do it once a quarter, which um, we're, we don't succeed at. We haven't done it once a quarter since we started, but we try to do it once every, every three or four months um, at the refuge. And again, we, we, haven't, we haven't done that very well. It's something that we're getting better at. Um, another question that uh, I get asked is who should take communion? Who should observe uh, communion? And again, this is an intimate exchange with God. Okay? I think one thing that we realize, one thing that we know, is that um, every one of you are in different places with God today. I would be a fool to think that everyone was on the same playing field. You're all different. Because that's, that's why we say we want our goal every single Sunday is to move everyone one step closer to Jesus, but no matter where you are. And so, um, so we, we want to move everyone one step closer to Jesus, and, and not everyone is on an intimate level with God. We want you there. Therefore, you need to be there. Communion is intimate fellowship with him. Therefore that it is for the believer, for some, that people that believe in Jesus, that have put their faith in him, that, is a, that, that are followers of, of him. So, um, so communion is for the believer. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus that goes to another church, you're welcome to observe the Lord's Supper as well. Um, and, and so, because you, you put your faith in, in Jesus. Um, I believe that communion is for the church, not um, and, and for the whole church. So, like, someone might ask us, Pastor Adam, um, if I go to a small group, are they going to do communion there? I don't think so. Um, I the only time that a, that a small group, my opinion, and 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 the opinion of the church is that um, if you do the Lord's Supper in small group, then it needs to be one week where every small group observes the Lord's Supper. Because here's what happens. You have a group that's a, that's, that's a small group over here, and they want to do the Lord's Supper. They want to have deep, intimate fellowship with God, and they want to grow in their, their and, and, they, and, it's, and it's good. It sounds great, right? But if all the other small groups aren't doing it, then what it does, it doesn't bring unity. It actually brings division. And so, to make sure that we're unified in taking the Lord's Supper. Does that make sense? Am I getting something out of that? Yes. And so, so we want to be in fellowship with each other when we observe the Lord's Supper. That's why I believe it's for the whole church. Um, how, like, what, what are some things that we use in Lord's Supper? So, uh, or how do you do it? Uh, we we use modern day bread and modern day grape juice. Now we use grape juice because we believe that, or we know that there are people in recovery, and uh, because of that, we don't want them to to have to to use wine. Um, we also know that minors take uh, communion, uh, hopefully, and so so that's why we don't use wine. It's just easier to be universal and to use grape juice. We use bread. Uh, we use. Um, I, I actually learned something this week. Um, and um, we, I used to call it the, the rip and dip method. That's what we use. So 
you, you rip the bread and you dip it in the, the grape juice and then you take it. Um, but it's actually got a, a technical term called infusion, uh, which um, I did not know. And, um, and so uh, it's, it's uh, I-N-V-I-N-B-T-I-O-N, right? Yeah, I think that's right. So um, it's, it's the, the joining of the two elements together. Now, Jesus broke the bread and then he drank the wine. Or he drank, um, you know, and so, um, so that's, so, so anyway, we combine the two. To be honest, it's for practicality's sake. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot more practical for us to do that. So now that we've talked a little bit about the, the actual Lord's Supper, I got four things quickly that I want to, I want to share with you as far as how, um, things that I believe that, um, I mean, like I could, at that point, I could have, um, I could have just said, "Hey, Ryan, put, stand, stand up here for the next four minutes," um, but that would have been awkward too. So, um, twenty minutes, I guess, right? Like fifteen minutes or something. So, Ryan, thank you. Give Ryan a hand. Come on, he's so good. He's so good. Four quick things. And, and not just things, like like four wounds of the heart that I believe we find evident in this story um, of, of the Last Supper um, that I, I believe will, will help you. Remembering always heals the heart. And I see four specific wounds in this story that, that Jesus is saying, if you have these present, like remembering what I did on the cross for you will help help you heal this. Number one, the first thing is when we have the wound of broken relationships, we need to remember the the death of Jesus. The wound of broken relationships is present in Luke chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-one. It says, "But here at this table, sitting among us, is a friend." this man who will betray me. Jesus knew that Judas was in the room and he knew that Judas would go on and he would, he would sell Jesus, basically, for his debt. And, he's, and he looks at, and he doesn't even point him out. Like, I don't know about you, but when somebody stabs me in the back, I want everybody to know who that person is. It's not Jesus. He said, he's saying there's there's a guy in this room that's gonna betray all of us, not just me. When Judas betrayed Jesus, there were eleven other men in the room that got hurt by it. And he knew who it was, and he didn't say who it was, but he knew there would be a broken relationship. <laughs> He knew there would be a broken relationship. And he said, hey, fellas, after this, this thing happens and there's this broken relationship that's going to take place, remember me. Remember what I'm about to do. Remember everything that I've taught you. Remember me. And you know what? Let me, give you, let me get, just give you bread and, and wine. 
to help you remember me. Number two, the second thing, the second wound that remembering Jesus, what Jesus did for us will help us is when you think, and you're not going to think that this is a wound, but it is. When you think that you're all that and then some, the wound of pride. When you think you're all that and then some, remember that what you are and who you are does not stack up with anything that Jesus did. In verse 24, it says this. It says, then he be- they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Remember those knuckleheads arguing? They were filled with pride. And the reason why pride is a wound is because pride creates wounds. When you think you're all that, what you end up doing is you end up hurting people that will then eventually hurt you back because hurt people hurt people. And it's a nasty cycle. The wound of pride. Can you imagine Peter? (laughs) Peter, who's about to betray Jesus. He's going, I got to be the greatest. I walk on water. None of you guys walk on water. I got you. But John, he's going, but I was the one that Jesus said you love the most. Like, like I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Are you kidding me? Jesus says, when you think you're all that, remember what I'm about to do. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the biggest lies that Satan tells us all and convinces us is that we actually deserve what God gives us. You don't deserve it and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve the air that I breathe, let alone the death that Jesus paid for me on the cross. We don't deserve it. This all has everything to do with Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's only Jesus that is enough for, to sustain us, to help us thrive in life. It's all about him. Every time I get up here on the stage, every Sunday, I, I've got a, a little room that Craig opens for me in the back. And, um, and every Sunday, it's, it's actually, it's, it's the makeup room for the, the productions that they do at the school. And, and I go back there and I, and I sit and I study before, before church on Sundays. And every week, I look at myself in that mirror, and I tell myself, Adam, you are a schmuck that did not deserve, that does not deserve to be on that stage. This isn't about you. Don't think that you're all that, because you're not. Everything that Jesus has done has put you in the position that you're there. It's not you. The moment that I start to believe that it's about me is the moment that I let all of you down. And I love you too much to let you down. 
not about me. It's only about Jesus and what he's done for me. I don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. Proverbs 3.34 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to stay humble. Number three, the third thing, remember Jesus' death when you are broke, when you are poor, when you can't make the bills, when you can't pay the bills. Remember Jesus' death, and when you remember the sacrifice that he has given you, that he paid for you on the cross, you will realize how rich we are. Verse 35 says, then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money or a traveler's bag or an expense or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? Jesus reminds him, he says, I'm about to give you everything you need. I'm about to make you rich. You don't need any of this. Because what I'm about to do four, remember what Jesus did for us when we fail. When we fail. Look at um, verse 34, what Jesus said to Peter. Let me tell you something, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Many of us know the story of Peter. He goes on to deny Jesus three times. People say, hey, aren't you that guy that was with me? Like that guy that's on trial right now, weren't you that one with, that was with him? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. That was somebody that looked like me. That wasn't me. And he denied him three times. In verse 61, it says, at the moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. At the moment, at the Last Supper, when his words, like when, when Jesus looked at him and he, and, he, and he said these words to him, Peter's, all this is coming back to Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three, t- deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard. Ladies and gentlemen, I got great news for you this morning. We are all going to fail. Pastor Adam, you should be more positive than that. I'm positive we're all going to fail. Every single one of us. We're going to fail miserably. But every single time that we do, if we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us, we will realize that we are forgiven in our failures. That we have a way to get to God, that our failure does not separate us from Him any longer, but that Jesus' sacrifice now makes it possible for us to have a relationship with Him. But you've got to remember the sacrifice. So maybe you're here this morning and, and, and one of these four you have one of these four wounds. I want I want you to know 
Growth never happens without taking a step. Growth never happens without taking a step. God will always give you a step to take. So if you're here this morning and you have a broken relationship, the wound of a broken relationship, as you look into your heart this morning and we observe communion, ask yourself, who is it that I need to forgive? Because the step in the broken relationship is forgiveness. Some of you may need to make a phone call. Others may need to just forgive in your heart because maybe that person is no longer with you. Just forgive. Maybe you're, you're here and you struggle with, with pride. The step in your, your, your issue with pride is acknowledging that you're not all that. Finding some humility. And that's the step that you need to take today. And as you observe, you, you look deep within your soul and you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm not all that. Maybe it's financially you need a, a blessing this morning. Maybe it's because you're broke. The step in financial success better stewardship, better management of what you have. So as you observe, you look into your heart and you say, God, I need to be better at what I, what, at, at the money that you're giving me. I need to manage it better. Finally, if your step is failure, maybe you feel like you're a failure today. That's the easiest one of all. Because that's the one that everything that you need to do is already taken care of. You just need to put your faith in your trust. In the one that did it for you. Stand to your feet. Every you head bowed, every eye closed. We're just about done. If you're helping with the elements of the Lord's Supper today, you can go to the back. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's how I know for a fact that all of us are going to fail. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you have failed so much. How could anyone ever forgive me? How could God forgive me? reason God can forgive you is because Jesus lived a perfect life and did not deserve the death that he paid on the cross. But he did that for you so that God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see you and your failure. He sees Jesus and his success. But we have to have that moment where we actually trusted Jesus we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But that's why it's a gift. Is there anyone here this morning, right now, in the quiet of this moment, that would say, Pastor Adam,
Raise your hand, just repeat after me in your heart. Say it in your heart and believe it. Say, God, I come before you and I've realized that I'm a sinner and I need the blood of Jesus. And I accept it. Come in and save me. I repent from my sin. I turn away from it in order to follow you. Come into my life and save me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Look up at me if you would. If you said that prayer on the, the card that you received on your way in, if you just want to, if you just fill that out and drop it in the black box before you leave. I just want to send a card just to say welcome to the family. Welcome to what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper at this time. Um, I want you to know, a lot of times, observing the Lord's Supper, and I don't know why we get this idea, but we get this idea that, that the Lord's Supper is a somber moment. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the death that Jesus paid for us gives us and I don't know about you, but when my team wins, I get excited. This is a celebration of what God has done to restore your heart. So, as we observe this, observe your heart and then celebrate. We're going to sing a song as we end. So, um, I'm going I'm to say a prayer, a blessing. God, I thank you so much that this isn't me, that it's all you, that it's all about you. It's always been about you, and it always will be about you. I thank you for the death of Jesus that pays for the price of our sin, 
that we can come before God and repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways and you hear from heaven, you forgive us. I thank you for that. God, I pray that we would all observe this morning what you have done to restore our hearts, that you would do the work of restoring the hearts of the people. Help us, Father, to have the courage to take the steps that we need to to follow you. In Jesus' name, may it serve the Lord.